0: Hey friends, hope you are all well. Thanks again for listening and coming back. It means the world to us. If you could do us a favor and help us to grow our audience by sharing our podcast with others, we would sincerely appreciate it. Word of mouth is the most powerful tool for helping a podcast to grow, and we would love to find more spooky loving listeners. We know they are out there. Hey ladies, what's spooky and good? Oh, you know,
1: living the dream.
2: Um, I had something spooky happen to me the other night. Oh yeah. Well, I was uh in bed reading and Poppy was laying in bed at the foot of the bed and all of a sudden the bathroom door opened about four inches very slowly. And she just kept barking and barking at the do at <gasps> the door. And then I got a text from dad and he said, What's going on in there? What's she doing? And I I could hardly explain it. I wasn't afraid though, but I It was kind of spooky in a way. Uh,
0: Yeah. I know. You're talking about your bathroom door? Yeah. I know it has like that pressure thing with the other side. Yes. But that only happens if someone is going in or out of like the house, right? Nobody was. I mean, (laughs) of course it wasn't
2: latched tightly, but still it went from a closed state to being open about four
0: or five inches. And then the dog barking. Parking barking. That's barking. what makes it really spooky. I know. Yeah,
1: because you know they see things we can't. They exactly. hear things we can't.
0: They
2: and they sense
0: things yeah. too. Oh, so my yeah, gosh. that's
2: my little contribution <laughs> there.
0: That was awesome and unexpected. Uh, you hadn't told me about that, so perfect. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Sure. All right, let's get to it. Here at The Spectacular, Now, we love talking about all things extraterrestrial, UFOs, UAPs, whatever you like to call it. And there is nothing better than a good alien encounter-themed movie. And today, we are discussing one of the truly great, in my not-so-humble opinion, (laughs) of sci-fi alien films. It is a big, little movie called The Vast of Night. If you are a sci fi lover or even just a lover of the art of film, you will geek out over this movie. If your faith in good films has been waning recently, The Vast of Night will make you believe in the magic of movies again. <laughs> it is probably safe to say this is a lesser known movie for the mainstream viewer. And a little background info it is currently available to view on Amazon Prime, if you're a member. Tagline for the movie was, in the 1950s, two kids search for the source of mysterious frequency that has descended on their town. It is rated PG-13, just for some brief, strong language. Starring Sierra McCormick and Jake Horowitz. Directed by Andrew Patterson. Written by James Montague, which I learned is actually a pseudonym for Andrew Patterson. Oh, And the teleplay... Again, Andrew Patterson and Craig Sanger. Its original release date was May fifteenth, twenty twenty, limited release. And what is super cool, they released it originally in drive-ins. Yeah. To kind of capture the whole nostalgia of yes. the film, which so cool. Uh, yes, I wish yeah. we had seen it or I know I have known, known about, about, about it, it beforehand. Yeah, then we could have. Gone to the drive in, yeah. our one remaining drive in that I recently is, did it close officially? Yeah, it's closed, it makes me so sad. I guess there's
1: another one, maybe I don't know, like a half hour from here. Oh, okay, but it's like a private/slash not private one. What does that it's, mean? I, I mean, I don't know how else to describe Do you have it, to know but the, like the
0: code word to get in, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. Um, it's in someone's like backyard, they've got like this huge swath of land and they put two screens up Oh. and they've got like a little concession stand. Oh, let's oh, go. Yeah, they have, um, yeah, you just drive in and it's like, it's like
0: a pop-up yeah. drive-in. Yeah. So it's yeah. like their
1: business that they run out of their backyard. Oh, cool. we need
0: to find that. Yeah. Oh, I know. I love it. All right. So then the film was released for streaming on Amazon Prime on May 31st of 2020. Runtime is an hour and 30 minutes distributed by Amazon Studios. And I hadn't heard of this movie until, Kenzie, you said... Yeah, a friend gotta... of mine
1: recommended it to me.
0: Who was that friend? Because they were awesome.
1: Uh, my friend Tyler. Okay. And her husband, Evan. Shout out to Tyler and Evan. Mm. Miss you guys. Yeah, they're, they're also big into that stuff. And mm. I, they just... They watch a lot of films. And so they stumbled upon it. And I remember Tyler being like, oh, Aliens? Strange frequencies, radio stuff. This sounds like Mackenzie's shit. And I was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, they know you pretty well. So this movie really got uh, generally good reviews and it is 93% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think that is. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. As far as movie reviews go, I yeah. really trust Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, The Vast of Night. What can I say? You have my whole heart. This is the stuff great films are made of. It is a beautiful film, beautifully crafted, just pure talent from director Andrew Patterson and incredible cinematography by M.I. litton From the slowly building sense of dread to the haunting musical score from Eric Alexander and Jared Ballmer. I just cannot say enough about this film. That being said, it does not rely on flashy special effects to carry the story. It is very much character-driven and dialogue-driven. You really have to pay attention and be invested in the story.
1: Which isn't so hard to do because they really reel you in from the get-go. Yes. Um, You know, when the film opens, the main characters are introduced right away, and they've kind of got this rapport going back and forth. And so that gets you already paying attention to what they're saying because, you know, they're having this... Back and forth conversation. So you really got to listen. But then that's kind of like training you in a way for how the rest of the film is.
0: Right. The pacing is pretty yes, quick.
1: It's very quick. Yeah. And this, it just jumps from one story to the next story. And, you know, you're you're already like super into it. So then by then it just, yeah, it's got you hooked.
0: Exactly. And I wanted to do like a synopsis, but not to give too much away But I do want to say, when you do decide to watch this movie, if you have not seen it yet, make sure you do the following. Turn off all the lights, minimize your distractions, put your cell phone on airplane mode, and give this movie your full attention. The dialogue and witty banter can be rapid fire, and this movie is a spine tingler and slow burn. So let it pull you in, and you will feel like you are there with the characters, a witness to these amazing supernatural events. Don't invite... Invite. Right. Don't invite your chatty friend Felicia over. You know the one. She talks through every movie and asks nonstop questions or provides unnecessary commentary.
1: What they just say?
0: Yeah. What Why are they, they doing? do that? Yeah. What are they doing? You're like, you're like,
1: shut up, just watch.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. So Felicia's not invited. But for the next 1.5 hours, you will be swept away to another time and place. And I love this film because another reason, bleh. another reason I love this film is it takes place in what we can assume is the 1950s based on the clothing, the vehicles, the music. It was just a simpler time and a time when the U.S. was having a love affair with the space age as Project Mercury was in full swing at NASA and people had the mysteries of space on the brain. This film was actually inspired by the Kecksburg UFO incident and Foss Lake disappearances. So a little bit about these two events that inspired the writer of the film. The Kecksburg UFO incident occurred December 9th, 1965 at Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in the U.S. A fireball was reported by citizens of six U.S. states and Canada over Detroit, Michigan, Mm -hmm. and Windsor, Ontario, our little neighbors Astronomers said it was likely to have been a meteor burning up in the atmosphere, descending at a steep angle. NASA released a statement in 2005 reporting that experts had examined fragments from the area and determined they were from a Soviet satellite. Still pretty cool. But that records of their findings were lost in 1987. Of course, the records are always lost. Yeah. Conspiracy. That's what everybody thinks, you know. So NASA responded to court orders and the Freedom of Information Act request to search for the records. This incident gained wide notoriety in popular culture and ufology with speculation ranging from extraterrestrial craft to debris from Soviet space probe named Cosmos 96. It is often referred to as Pennsylvania's Roswell, which (laughs) I did not know that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more information about this event. It was described as a brilliant fireball streaking over Detroit. There was reports of hot metal debris all over Michigan and northern Ohio. Grass fires, sonic booms in the Pittsburgh area were also attributed to this fireball. Some people in the village of Kecksburg, which is where it got its name, about 30 miles southeast of Pittsburgh, reported wisps of blue smoke, vibrations, and a thump. And also that something from the sky had crashed into the woods. Mm. And here is an early story from the Greensburg Tribune Review, and it stated the following. The area where the object landed was immediately sailed off on the order of U.S. Army and state police officials in anticipation of a close inspection of whatever may have fallen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that is so good. State police officials there ordered the area roped off to what. To await the expected arrival of both U.S. Army engineers and possibly civilian scientists, because that's how they all sounded back then.
1: It? <laughs> oh, you are trying to like a mid-Atlantic accent, yes?
2: <laughs> and they talked a little fast, yeah. right? Little Very lazily. exaggerated. Yeah, yeah. And they
1: they pitched their voices up so yeah, that the did. microphones could uh, pick up their voices better because it couldn't do well with lower frequencies. That's why they all talk like that. Oh no! And also, no. it was like the United States answer to um, the received pronunciation in England, you know, how that's their like posh upper class accent. The mid-Atlantic or transatlantic accent was taught and that was considered to be for, you know, upper class
0: Americans, well-to-do
1: Americans. Oh wow! Yeah,
0: well, I, that's like the that, the accent you always hear, like in black and white movies. Yes, too. it yeah. it
1: was really popular, like in the twenties and thirties, but then it stopped. Well, it um kind of started going away in popularity towards like the forties and the fifties. But
0: you would still hear it on newscasts. Yeah, like it, they it, talked really like exaggerated.
1: It carried over like into you know reporters how they spoke. Yeah, but yeah. So, that was, that was, uh, I so that's
2: never why they thought all sounded of, like that I
0: then. never thought about it being yeah.
2: intentional. I just yeah. thought,
0: yeah. Huh, interesting. So the other event that uh, inspired the writer was called the Foss Lake Disappearances. And it refers to two separate missing persons cases, one from the late 1950s when a vehicle with three adult occupants disappeared, and another in 1969 when a vehicle carrying three teenagers disappeared both near the Foss Lake Reservoir outside Elk City, Oklahoma. Rumors swirled, and some people believe that it must have been an alien abduction. But in 2013, when a group of state troopers were testing some new sonar equipment, they discovered two rusted-out vehicles at the bottom of the reservoir with three skeletons found in each car. So, sad. There must have been some bend in the road, something tricky that, you know, both of these cars a decade or more apart, you know fell victim to yeah
1: did they like exhume the remains they pull- and they
0: pulled the cars out and there's some pictures online of the cars pulled oh. up out of land and then i'm assuming that they took the remains out and buried yeah. them so wow was not alien abductions but it did inspire this movie all right so the film opens in a mid-century style living room with a retro tv playing a show that is an imitation of the twilight zone So it's like a new episode is about to start, and then the TV screen grows bigger as the camera, you know, pulls in closer, and we're transported into the film. So the film takes place in a fictional small town called Cayuga, New Mexico. It's the night of the local high school's varsity basketball game, and this is probably a one high school town. The big game would have been a huge event for a small town, and just about everyone would have been in attendance, The viewer becomes almost like this unseen character following the other characters around. You feel like you're right in the middle of the story. And there's like, I know there's technical names to it. I don't know how to make films. But there's these long camera shots where it's like one continuous shot following the the character everett around through the gymnasium i love that because you know they must have rehearsed that and rehearsed that over and over again yeah Yeah. and they're like okay we got we gotta get this in one take you know and well yeah and that's when you have to concentrate on the movie yes because
2: he's moving fast he's going from scene to scene and
0: he's talking to all these different people yeah
2: one thing i just want to add about the movie that i really liked it was in real time
0: right you know, I love yeah, that. Yeah,
1: it didn't jump ahead no, to, like, the next day No, it takes place in an yeah. hour and a half, right? Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. You're seeing it as it unfolds. Exactly. Yeah. There's no next day or anything no, like that. No, no. Good point. It's in real time. I love that. It is a very... Uh, So the way that the film is shot is very effective. And the dialogue is rapid fire and kind of naturalistic in its delivery. So it's almost like you feel like you're eavesdropping on other people's conversations. And we are quickly introduced to our two main characters, Everett and Faye. Prior to the game, Everett was asked to assist with various recording and technical issues prior to the game. He's approached by Faye, and she asks him if he will show her how to use her new audio recorder. And I remember having playing with an audio recorder when <laughs> we were kids. Oh, we had the best time. Oh, so fun. It is. Oh, that was one. of. I think we talked about this before.
2: That was one of my favorite Christmas present. Yeah, presents. we did. It was a tape recorder reel to reel. And my sister and I were on that and we would get hysterical. We'd just make up stuff <laughs> saying, you know, the weird stuff that came out of
0: our mouths when you're 12 and 10. And um, Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I remember we had one, I think it was called Mr. Microphone or something. And it had a tape deck in it. And, you know, you could push stop, record, rewind. Yeah. And Danny and I would have the most fun. We would mm. crack up when the batteries <laughs> were running low and we would push play <laughs> and it'd be like i mean we were just dying uh, so kids today just don't know yeah. that joy no. of recording yourself like that and playing it back i mean they do make videos of themselves though and they probably get a yeah. kick out of that
1: but like you know the the equipment starting to fail because the batteries are running low right like that doesn't really happen much anymore right and exactly I, I don't know if it was the same one but was that the thing that's in uh, Toy Story?
0: Yes. Yes. Exactly. I had one of those. We got you like a, a the remake. Yeah. yeah, of yeah. The, yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, I remember that thing. That was that thing fun. Was fun. You, did, <laughs> yeah. you did have fun playing with that. Yeah. So you got to experience that yeah. too. So that was cool. That's probably like the, the last generation. to yeah, Probably. Have a you know tape
0: recorder. Want one as a gift, you know. Right. <laughs> Aw. So back to our movie here. Faye... Is approaches Everett and says, Hey, will you show me how to use my new audio recorder? And he encourages her to kind of get used to it and, you know, kind of break it in by interviewing people outside the school and in the parking lot as practice. And we learn that Everett is a local disc jockey and he is just the embodiment of 50s cool. He's got this like cool kind of persona, but mixed with just the right amount of nerd. I mean, he, yeah. oh man. I would have crushed on him hard. Yeah, yeah. same. Yes, <laughs> seriously. And he's just got this really cool confidence about him too. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell that Faye really looks up to him and she really admires him and his opinion. And he kind of acts like, ah, oh, this kid. But you can tell he he likes her too. He thinks she's a cool kid. Oh,
2: yeah. I, I think he really respects her yes, too. Yes, exactly. That's what I like. You know, she's very chatty and she's very bright. And their relationship is kind of cool because thinking he's... 16 or 17. Um, She's maybe 13. She's 16. They do say she's 16. (gasps) Oh, she's 16. I thought I kept thinking she was younger. She
0: definitely seemed more childlike, like very innocent. Yeah. 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 Well, then that
2: explains it for me because I thought, man, that's really cool how much he respects her and listens to her.
0: And she's just a kid, but not a kid. So, yeah, so Everett, he's just confident, self-assured. Um, it's obvious that he's well-liked in the community and people look to him for assistance and kind of guidance during the game, like with technical issues. Um as we said, Faye is 16. She's in high school as well. She appears to really admire Everett and she looks up to him. And we also learned that she's a very gifted science student and she carries around the stack of like popular mechanics and science magazines. Yeah. And, you know, he, he would ask her like, Oh, what's new with the science stuff. And she, you know, pulls the magazine out. Um, and she's telling him all these facts. So her attempts at interviewing the locals is awkward and it's endearing at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I love this because this is all just one long scene, too, mm-hmm. where they just have this long conversation and you're just kind of along for the ride. And that is what is another thing that's so cool about this movie. Uh, the viewer follows along like we're tagging along with them. And the next thing we know, we're walking behind them down the street as Faye rambles on excitedly about various topics of interest as Everett records her. And my favorite part of this exchange is when she is describing to Everett all of these inventions of the future from Popular Mechanics magazine, like the tube trains that are going to replace airplanes. But she mentions the clamshell, which is kind of hinting at a future cell phone. And Everett just dismisses this whole idea. And he <laughs> calls them tiny TV telephones. That's cuckoo. Yeah. <laughs> but what's really funny is she says, well, now you can always reach your friend cause they'll always have a phone on them and they'll always answer the phone. And then, you know, if they don't answer the phone, it means they're dead, which I, <laughs> I mean, most people don't answer their phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was just, that was so funny. So Everett walks Faye all the way to work. We learned that she is a switchboard operator for some evening shifts and, uh, she is going to be working while pretty much the rest of the town is at the game. And, um, Like like I had kind of mentioned before, this film is shot in such an intimate manner. And we had talked about this. It's very much dialogue driven. You really have to pay attention or you're going to miss bits of the conversation. And there's very few scenes in this film where someone is not talking. In fact, it's almost not until the climactic ending where there's any extended time where someone isn't talking. Uh, But one of my favorite parts of this film is the soundtrack. It's Mm -hmm. almost like lurking in the background and eerie, yet moving minimalist. It cradles the film throughout various weighted moments. And I looked for it on Amazon, but it's not available to buy. But on YouTube, there's this several hour loop of some of the best moments of music from the film. And I'll just like lay there with my headphones on and listen to it. And it (laughs) is pure magic. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, I think we should close out this episode with a little clip of it if we can get away with that. But it is so cool. So Faye's at work now, and she tunes into Everett's radio show while she's working and notices a creepy sound transmitting across the radio. And it really catches her attention because it's nothing that she's ever heard before. It's almost kind of like this weird. It's like
1: uh, electronic humming with almost like a, like a soft like ticking noise like ticking, right. sort of overlaid with it
0: yeah and when i i noticed when i was listening um i was watching it on my laptop and i could hear some sounds that i didn't hear when we were watching it on tv it was almost like because i was closer to the um the microphone output or whatever the yeah. speaker output yeah you could almost hear like this very faint weird dialogue that it's like a this alien alien this like really bizarre sounding it's almost like a vocalization but it's not english oh it's almost like that yeah it's weird clicking sound and
2: yeah i didn't pick up
0: on that when we watched the movie no. so yeah. we'll have it to listen again to with hear. microphones on yeah. and really definitely yeah because there's like there's like multiple layers in this sound so this has really caught faye's attention um, because, you know, it's really weird. She hasn't heard it before. And then she gets a call from a very distressed woman. And the call is really broken up a lot. She's reporting something above her land. She says it's like a tornado, and they're gonna go down in a storm cellar. So all of a sudden, the pace of the film really starts to pick up. Mm-hmm. Something weird is happening outside of town. Calls keep getting dropped. Like she'll be on the phone at the switchboard and they'll be talking about something weird or something happened. Click. Like the, fo- the calls keep getting dropped. So that's kind of weird. But we're getting random bits of information as they kind of trickle in about the sightings. So she's really intrigued now about this signal, what it is, where it's coming from. So she decides to share it with Everett and tells him that the signal actually interrupted his radio station at the start of the news because while she's working, she's listening to Everett's radio show. She plays a signal for him through the switchboard as it has continued to broadcast Everett's interest is now piqued, and he asks for help from his listeners in identifying the sound. A listener by the name of Billy calls in, and he shares a story from his past from when he was in the military and a special assignment he was on where some very strange and unusual happenings occurred. This moment in the film had me on the edge of my seat. Like, what was he going to say next? What happened to them in the desert? What did they see? Yeah. Yeah.
1: The actor that they had do the voice for Billy. He's got like the perfect storytelling yes. voice. It's like...
0: You were hanging on his yeah. every word. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the yeah. way his character is just explaining everything that happened to him. It's so... Like you can't help but like be invested in what he's saying
0: and like what happened to him. Yep. And so he's calling in to say he's heard that sound before. Yeah. And he tells this very elaborate story of this thing in the desert in a hole... And they had to build this like bunker for it or something yeah. yeah. that a lot of them then started getting sick after they must have been exposed to something. So it kind of like yeah. gives it more backstory. It,
1: it makes me think of um, a lot, you know, could could that have been the, the Roswell incident oh, or right. I think at one point he says they moved something that they had found to this area i'm like oh are they is it like area 51 is that what that was built on top of or something Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of alluding to all the like military slash government secret places out in the desert where you know there's few people and less uh prying eyes
0: yeah exactly
1: yeah
2: a lot of things can be buried in the desert Mm. hidden Yeah.
0: yeah So at some point during this time, Faye abandons her post and she meets up with Everett in the sound booth or the radio station. And they're just both like mesmerized by what Billy is saying. At one point, the call gets dropped. but Then they get him back on the line. And now you can kind of sense not so much from Everett, but from Faye's standpoint, she is almost a little nervous about Mm. it. Because then she's calling, checking on her baby sister. Yeah. Who is with a friend who's supposed to be babysitting. Yeah. So she has more urgency to her. Like, she's intrigued, but she's also like, what the fuck? You know, she's yeah. a little, like, she's could scared. could something dangerous? Right, exactly. Yeah. But we don't really notice that yet in, in Everett. He's very interested in this, but she's looking out for, you know, her family. Yeah. He's a
1: little more on the skeptical side of yeah. something, you know, supernatural
0: or extraordinary. Right. So they get a call from a woman.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, a woman that lives in town Yeah, that had a story she wanted to share with them. Yes. Yeah, so but they she, had to come to her house. Yes.
0: So they go to her house. And then there's another quiet story that, again, you're listening as she's just telling this story. It's unfolding very bizarre about a disappearance of her child. And um, so now we see that, OK, there's a much bigger Something much bigger is going on. Mm -hmm. It's come to the town before. And she also points out that they only seem to come when there aren't many people around. So it's the night of the game. Most of the people are out of their homes. And then there's a few people scattered around town. Yeah. It's almost like she's saying, well, they wait for it to be like that. Yeah which also makes me think of why do so many alien encounters or UFO sightings happen in the desert it's like because they pick these unpopulated areas mm-hmm. to cuz they 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 want to they're curious they want to see what's going on but yeah. they don't want too many people to yeah. see them they don't
1: want to reveal
0: themselves to the masses right so something funny, I think, I don't know what it was on or what I was reading, but it was like a map of the world of all the UFO sightings in the world. And guess where most of them were? Here? In the United States. Oh. <laughs> what does that say about us? Yeah. We are <laughs> something super... In <laughs> yeah, something in our water. Yes, something in our water. Drink the Kool-Aid. Literally. Right. I don't know. So I just thought that was funny. <laughs> OK, so I don't really want to do a moment by moment retelling of the whole story because I don't want to ruin the viewing experience for anyone who has not seen it. I definitely do not want to give away the ending, but most of the last several minutes of the film are eerily quiet and you are just filled with awe and dread. And this, the, the film kind of has this feeling of dread building in the pit of yes. your stomach. The whole, like, the whole time. Because you're, like, Cause
1: you're oh. like, slowly realizing what's happening. Yes. And it gets to the end. And, you know, it's like, I, yeah, again, I can't really say without giving too much away. And right. I don't want to because it's, you just have to, like, experience it. Yeah.
2: Right. Right. Um, yeah, we won't say the end. But did the end surprise you?
0: Yes. The first time I saw it, I was like,
1: oh.
0: You know, but I don't. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I wasn't expecting it to go that way. Either I I guess I was kind of just hoping for the reveal, and then maybe we'd be left to see how you know things ended, or it would just end there. But then they you know they took it further, and you were like, "Oh wow! Like that actually happened." And
2: yeah, yeah, it's
1: kind of like, hmm,
2: yeah.
0: So, but I like the. Anime. I think yeah. it was perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think it was perfect, and um. This is when you really get a good taste of the amazing music because at yes. the end it's eerily quiet and the music is kind of building up. This really high pitched violin. I mean, mm. how you play yeah. the violin, Kenzie? What note are they playing that really loud? And we'll have to pl- uh, I don't know loop in a, a small sample here, but it is yeah. so high pitched, and I can't imagine well, how be, you even pl- they'd be make really that sound.
1: High, probably on the E string. Wow, with their fingers close to the like, towards the bridge on yeah. the neck, like, where you have to, like, reach over the front of the violin to get that high. Oh, okay. And it's hard to play up there. Okay. Um. So, yeah, it's, it is is very, very high-pitched, very eerie, it's and, like, ethereal. Kind of yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Ethereal, I love that. So, overall, this movie is so compelling, and I am now just obsessed. I already, and Kenzie, too, love vintage space the whole vintage space vibe yeah the space race uh mercury um gemini apollo oh my gosh all of that you know love books about it movies about it and then now there's this movie that ties in this like alien encounters vibe it's just oh it's so perfect
1: i love anything mid-century
0: yeah exactly the
1: fashion the decor but i gotta say vintage vibes not values
0: Vintage vibes, not values. Yes, yeah. true. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And I have to say, the performances of Horowitz and McCormick are iconic. They carry the entire film, and I don't know if it would have worked without them. They are yeah. so perfect in these roles. Yeah, they are. Oh my god, it, it just seems like you're. This is actually happening, and you're just like a fly on the wall watching yeah. everything unfold. They
1: become the yeah. characters so well. It's like they were... They were
2: embodied. Yeah. 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 So it's like a a scary movie that's not cheesy. It's intelligent. Yes. Nothing jumps out at you or scares you. It scares you because there's unknown in it. Yeah.
0: Um, And part of you is like, oh, God, this could happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It it makes you feel uh, anxious, kind of.
1: Yeah. It feels like something could... It feels like it would be something that could happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. Yep. And so cool. This movie does not rely on flashy special effects or like a multi-million-dollar budget. This movie was made for seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh, my yeah. God. Over three like to four lot weeks. Lot that was yeah. it. And it's like it proves you don't need flashy special effects to make a good movie. Right. You just need. Excellent writing, creativity, you know, a strong cast, yeah. you know, you know, talented director. Yeah, it was oh god, so good. Just everything movies should be. Yep, really enjoyed it. All right, so a little background on the film. So when the film came out, it did receive critical acclaim um, from several critics. They praised the direction, cinematography, uh, historical authenticity as well as the performances of the two leads, McCormick and Horwitz. At the first Critics' Choice Super Awards in 2021, the film received three nominations and other accolades. And according to the director, Andrew Patterson, the film came out of one of the ideas he had in the previous decade, something he had written down. And it just simply said, 1950s, black and white, New Mexico, UFO landing. Mm -hmm. So that was what he wrote down Mm and was he wanted to come up with a story for that. So he wrote the script with Craig Sanger, although he registered the script with the WGA under a pseudonym, James Montague, who's also listed as producer. I don't know why he did why, that.
1: Yeah, why would he list yeah. himself, but with two different names?
0: I couldn't find really why he did that, but he must have had a reason. Yeah. I don't know. Um So he financed the film himself with money that he'd made from working as a producer for commercials and shorts for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm assuming that's like a sports team. Mm
2: -hmm. Sounds like it.
0: Yeah. Um, And like I said, it was filmed three to four weeks total at a cost of just Mm $700,000. And the film was shot mostly in a small town called Whitney, Texas during the fall of 2016. So This was shot a while ago, and it didn't come out until early 2020. Wow. Um, The town was selected after they'd gone through many towns trying to find the right one. But what really drew them to this town was it had the perfect like, old-school vintage-style gymnasium because they really wanted to get the period details correct. Uh, The production team removed the three-point line from the basketball court, which... I guess they oh. didn't have it. Oh. No, they didn't. Oh, yeah, they came out much later. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. And it cost them twenty grand to do that. They really like <gasps> this needs to be authentic. Probably well, because it'd be too expensive digitally to remove it
2: from later. Well, I don't know. Maybe. But they'd have to take it off and then they'd have to put it back on. Exactly. And
1: like reseal the floor yeah. and yeah. all of that. Wow. That's so crazy. Uh-huh.
0: So they even found some uh, functional switchboards which were used at that time. So, like, if you notice when phase of the switchboard it lights up. Yeah. So. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you probably had to like learn
1: how to do that, which I've. I mean, I'm sure I could just, like, look it up. There's probably a YouTube video on how young women were taught to operate the switchboards. And I was just like, how do those work and why? Like, you just pull a wire out from somewhere and right. you just plug it in and it sends them to where they need I to go. How, and how, they're not labeled. How do you know which one goes right, where?
2: exactly. Well, I know <clears throat> when she was uh, manning the, very frantically manning the switchboard, yeah. and then uh, someone passed her the sound, and then she passed the sound. Somehow, uh, to the radio station. Yeah, because she was
1: on call with him, and the sound was coming through one of the lines. Right, and, and so she just took that and patched him into that line. That the sound with was the on. sound. I know. Yeah. So
2: I mean, I know it's a movie. Yeah. But I was like, how did she do that? You know, <laughs> it was.
1: I don't get it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's
0: a mystery how that whole like thing works.
1: It's old, but like you know, back then
0: it was like cutting
1: edge. So yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it'd be fun to play with one. I wonder if they have one up at the Henry Ford. I bet they do. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. That'd be, yeah, that'd be neat to yeah, check I bet out. They would too. And I mean, really, how long ago did they stop using switchboards? In the grand scheme of things, probably not that long ago. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean. We used to be able to dial zero for the operator. Did the operator use a switchboard? Hmm. I don't know. Is there still an operator at the end of zero? (laughs) I don't know. They recently took away time and temperature, didn't they?
2: (laughs) Well, I just heard that a lot of companies are doing away with 411, which was like an information system through your cell phone service provider. Okay. But I don't think there's an operator
0: anymore.
1: You know, it was like, what, a slang? Not a slang term, but like a, a phrase. Uh, what's the 411? Like you wanted to know what. Information. Yeah. That
0: was the number for information. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think they've just done away with that. Because now people can just look up phone numbers.
0: hmm yeah. On their phone. Times change. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the simpler times, though. Oh. Yeah, me too. After the movie was filmed, uh, Patterson spent a year actually editing the film on his own. And then there was obviously some delay maybe with distribution and getting someone to buy it and distribute it, which thankfully Amazon did. Good call, Amazon. So, yeah, that is a little bit about The Vast of Night. I really hope you guys watch it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Let me know what you think. Um. Hopefully, you don't hate it. It definitely. It's kind of a a niche movie.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: If if that's your if that's your jam. Yeah. You you might like it. So. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Five stars.
1: It's eleven. It it goes up to eleven. <laughs>
2: What did you say the Rotten Tomato score was?
0: 93%. That's That's really good. good. Mm -hmm. They know what they're talking about. (laughs) So anyway, if you would like us to talk about any other films, uh, send us some suggestions. You can email us at spectacularnowpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know if you have any ideas uh, for a movie that you'd like us to talk about.
1: Or if you know of any other niche alien radio government secrecy movies
0: yeah more i need more oh you know what i saw uh we saw a preview today for oppenheimer that looked really oh cool. i haven't watched that yet yeah, oh yeah killian murphy plays. yeah it's Ooh, coming uh, out
2: uh summer and yeah i think it's a oh it said seven
0: twenty one. yeah yeah oh we could go for your couple, birthday <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it looks really cool nice All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.